SaaS Insiders. Welcome to this episode of our show. I'm talking to Alper Jurer, a co-founder of Lola, and we cover a wide range of topics from building your MVP, finding the right team to be a co-founding team with you, as well as solving the real problem and connecting with the problem to the level so that your investors understand it and they believe you're the best team to execute on this. Check out this short clip from the episode to get a taste of it. And I think it's also super helpful that when you have a well-rounded founder team, where you have people who are building something from their own pain point, the story that you tell is just a very natural one. So if if 10 VCs will refuse you, the 11th one will, will listen to you and the 12th one will have a bit of a I don't know if it's right to say here, but the bit of a FOMO. And, and I think with everything in the world, unfortunately, FOMO really helps. So when, when, when you're talking to a few different people at the same time and starting to close around, suddenly people start having a lot more interest in you. We're covering much, much more in depth on those topics. So I recommend you to listen to the full episode right after this sponsorship segment. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly, find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insider Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. SaaS Insiders, I welcome you to this episode of our show. Today, I'm joined by, by Alper Yarder. He's co-founder of Flola. And today we're going to be sharing with you his amazing story, how he turned out to be a founder in the first place. And he'll be sharing with you some of his learning experiences working on, uh, on this SaaS business, fundraising, and all the crazy stories that you have. But that said, Alper, I welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Vlad. Thanks for having me. For those who might not know you yet, if you could give one or two minute introduction on who Alper is, where you're coming from, background, what you're working on right now. Of course, there have to. Born and raised in Istanbul, Turkey. Moved to Europe then. Worked in quite a few different environments, a lot of countries. Italy, France, Netherlands, US. Started my career in consulting, Bain Accenture, and then moved to my first sales job, a real quota carrying revenue role. And from there, I assumed a few different revenue leadership roles in different stage companies from post IPO to Series A. And eventually, I, I ended up becoming a founder, which I'm happy to tell the story. I enjoy the sun, the sea, the nature most. And I also do blog from the Mediterranean all the time. That's, and it has interesting parallels between being a co-founder and a micro-influencer. I have to tell. Yeah, that's me. Well, probably coming from Turkey, you're getting used to mountains, to, to seas. So yeah. kind of The nature is, you're getting used to that. You're getting pretty used to that. One thing I'm curious is you're not a technical founder, right? So you're mm -hmm. coming from like the sales background, like the management. It's, it's, you have a really interesting story of how you turned out to be a founder. You mentioned that you were working as an employee and that was kind of the route you wanted to take. Could you share mm -hmm. with Sas and Cyrus, what's the story and what were like the, say, the background thoughts? What made you make that decision to say yes to becoming a co-founder? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I've been, 
I've been quite a risk-averse person all my life. I tried to do the best, the right things, and avoid uh, risk unless calculated, all that. So I've been an employee. I was also an immigrant working in uh, foreign countries on a visa. So you need to be really a hard worker, good worker, good employee, promote, etc., you know, provide for family. And that's probably why I kind of shied away from being a founder for a long time. But people who know me, they always say, oh, you always wanted to be one. Anyway, during COVID, I took a sabbatical because I was a bit fed up with being an employee and I said, I'll take a break. And during that time, I decided I'll never be an entrepreneur. I enjoy my salary. I enjoy my safety. I enjoy remote work too much. But then the idea of Flawless started coming up and my co-founders, I know them for a very long time, friends from uni. The idea is something that was basically solving my own problem. And a lot of stars aligned. And in my last role as a I was a GM for a Series A French startup, basically starting the company in the UK and then pre-launched to the US. So I was kind of the first guy on the ground on many things, building things from scratch. I almost like a founder. If I'm doing it for somebody else, I might as well do it for myself. And then I, I in two days, I decided to join as a co-founder. That's, that's an interesting journey, like in two days. So <laughs> what was like the decision making like from... I'm never going to be an entrepreneur to <laughs> let's do it. I'm a co-founder now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happen? yeah. I think I've been really lucky. I always tell my co-founder, um, our CEO, if it wasn't for you, I would never do it. I think some people I know, they're entrepreneurs in heart, and I think I might be one. But as I said, the risk averseness was kind of stopping me from being one. But Flola is a product that we are building from my own pain points in selling. Like selling is a very complex and difficult job, especially nowadays. Everybody knows the pressures. So it's a tool that, that we started to, to solve my own problems. So it's something that I believe in, I'm invested in. My co-founder team was kind of a no-brainer between us. We're like almost like a dream team in that we have the skills sales technical co-founder, engineer, and then a product guy who has four exits in his belt previous to that. And just typing, I guess, personally in my life, I was like, okay, if not now, if not with these people for this product, when else am I ever going to do it? And and so far, so good. One thing I like is you mentioned you're basically scratching your own itch, meaning solving your own problem. Could you talk a little bit more about Flola for those who are just finding out about this product, like what's its pitch basically? Like what does it solve? Yeah, of course. The funny thing is as a founder, you start building a product and it takes its own life. And as your users start using it, they kind of start telling their own story of what your product is. So, you know, you starting from somewhere might not end up being the same thing as what people are using it for. In a nutshell, what Flawler is, I used to be in sales. I used to be the one closing, building teams seeing everything from the first contact with a client to closing a deal, to onboarding, and then being a leader to make sure that everybody else is doing those things. So there are a lot of issues and problems and complexities in all that process, but probably the ones that are most important is sales is a very complex process where you have to engage a lot of stakeholders. You have to keep their attention constantly on your deal. You have to bring new stakeholders to the game. You have to pitch the same thing again and again. I used to close multi-million dollar deals, like 50 stakeholders across the globe, but the client doesn't know their counterparts in different countries. So you as the salesperson are the project manager trying to close a deal. So it was very difficult, you know, lots of documents, lots of WhatsApp channels, Slack channels. And I said, like, can we just have one single link where all of this happens? Can we have one single place where the buyer and the seller and all their stakeholders can engage and collaborate towards closing a deal? 
And as a result, we started building Flola, which helps you grab attention, which helps you shorten the sales cycle because instead of sending 20 emails ping-ponging, ping basically, you just have one single link. And in one, in a way, our power users are our closers or sales reps who define it like, here, everything is there. You know, Go to my Flola link and just check it out and let's talk there. And that's what it does for people at the moment. One really powerful thing you said is your initial idea of what your product might be might end up being something totally different because your users will will tell you what what they really want. Could yeah. you elaborate a little bit on that? Because a lot of times founders have the syndrome of like this is my baby, this is my vision, like this is what I want to build. And sometimes that that help that kind of makes them overlook the feedback of their actual ideal customer profile. And as a result, they still like, kind of go in their own direction, like regarding disregarding the user feedback. What's your take on it? Of course, I think that's. Uh great learning experience being a founder and just for me switching from sales guy to product builder has been about getting feedback you know maybe as an employee or in your life you don't really love feedback everybody says they love it but everybody hates it basically it hurts you as a product builder feedback is great because that helps you get to success as soon as possible so if you have users who tell you something you listen to them and as more and more people tell you the same story you start listening even more what i'm trying to say is basically I started building a product to close complex deals. But as we started building Flola, a lot of people started using it for outreach to make a first great impression on the first contact. Others to help push a deal towards the next step. We have client success leaders who use it to make sure that salespeople are not selling wrong things and then promising you know, wrong things to their clients. So basically, when you build a product, it starts being used in a certain way by a certain group. And then you as the founder have to decide where is the quickest road to success. And therefore you start doubling down on it. Um, although you let it live in different ways, you double down on something. For us, for example, when we started first fundraising, we were fundraising with Flola. There are recruitment companies who use it for hiring. It's a bit like Notion, really. Like it's a bit like Notion, but much more human. And, you know, you can have many use cases. Therefore, you let people to have those use cases. But then you as the founder decide where to double down, which which guides what kind of product, what kind of futures you build further. Mm-hmm. And just, just to make sure I get this correctly, you are fundraising with your company and you're using Flola for that process, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. We started, okay, close complex deals with Flola because this helps you visualize the buying process to your buyer and handhold them towards closing. And also it gives you a lot of insights about what's happening behind closed doors. Like we get actual insights, like who's viewing your content? What are they looking at? Are they sharing it with other people? All of that, you know, really dopamine moment for the seller where they get a notification. Somebody's checking your, your content, spending more than two minutes on a case study or something. But this applies to many different use cases, which it started taking its own life, as I said. And for example, we closed our round with investors by using Flola. So we fundraise using Flola. We have an investor flow. I think in the right terminology, people call it data room. People use it as a data room because at the end of the day, you share your pitch, your team, your different documents, and then potential investors come in, they look. And it's really cool when you're basically selling your product with your own product or you know fundraising for your product with your own product. At some point with one of our early stage investors, we had 40 people from that company coming in to check a flow and we were like okay these guys are going to probably put some money into flola yeah that, that's that's what i love about this it's it's like it's the best be- like demo in the world you invite <laughs> them to use flola for this deal it's like they, yeah. they, they, they can feel it themselves how easy that, that makes it so that's pretty cool i assume all the feedback you get from users is well helping you come up with the roadmap 
for, for, for future development. But when it comes to the initial build, I know of the air we talked a little bit about like MVP, how your co-founder was building it himself. When it comes to that, to that journey, and when you launched for the first time, get feedback, what do you think are the principles that apply to building an MVP? What do you think are the components to make it successful from your non-technical perspective? A lot of times, a lot of SaaS insiders are non-technical, and for them, sometimes it's hard to talk technical terms, to talk features. So mm-hmm. what, what's your take on what, how would you approach like building an MVP if, if you were to go back in time? Of course, I think those early days are really valuable and, and, and really a joyful, euphoric time where you're getting a lot of feedback from different people. So you build something, you put it to the world and you try to get as broad a feedback as possible from people who touch the pain from different angles. You know, when, when we first started building Flola and I was kind of acting like a, you know, advisor to Adam and all who were building it at the time, just before I became full-time with Flora. I was kind of approaching from a complex sales point of view, but I know that they were speaking to a lot of people who have like high velocity sales, basically who do a demo and then in one month they close a deal. My experience was closing a deal in a year, if I'm lucky. So getting that kind of broad feedback from different people, I think is really helpful because feeds you with a lot of feedback and and before you decide okay this is majority of feedback therefore i'm going to double down on that i would say use that time because it's the most luxurious time to go out and speak to people without an agenda and i would try to you know although i'm a consultant so i like to approach everything with a hypothesis at that time is the time where you don't need a hypothesis you can just you know collect different hypotheses from people i don't know if that answers the question or Maybe I lost my train of thought there, but that would be the first very important feedback. Like use that first time, first few months, maybe six months, whatever, just to collect as broad an area of feedback, talk to as many different people as possible. So at that time, when we first had an MVP and we were opening it to our first network, I was talking to headhunters, recruiters, others, uh, founders, salespeople, anybody who we thought could could potentially use this product. From your personal perspective do you think your mvp like how would you describe it was it just enough to get launched was it like too little you think it might have been a bit a bit more viable or do you think it was actually like too overworked on Uh, the first time what do you think was i think one of our chances is that we have a really strong um, founding team and and a product owner and a technical co-founder at the same time who believe in like doing things properly in the right way I don't think Flola was ever a clunky tool. The first impression the tool gives everybody has always been easy breezy. I can't believe, you know, how, how fast you've kind of built the MVP, et cetera. I can say these things easily without being humble because basically those two guys started it and they did it. If it's not my my doing, then I can be even more, give more credit, which I will. And at that stage, I think the MVP was quite easy to understand um, as we started opening up to people around maybe like March, April. So they they saw the benefits. And especially I remember very clearly thinking, you know, working with other SaaS businesses, et cetera, before or selling to other SaaS people, you know, everybody agreed that it was a very easy breezy product, easy to understand, well-built, not clunky. So once you have that kind of simple, not clunky version, go out with that because I think people feel comfortable giving it a go at that stage. Do you know how much time it took your co-founders to, to get the first version out in the water? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. From, from December to, to, I think November, December, I had the very first version and, and March we had proper working version. Yeah. yeah, but 
was it like did it take you like two weeks to get the first mvp out there maybe two months like what, what was the time frame i think around two months around two months okay one interesting topic here I wanted to discuss with you as well, Alper, is fundraising. A lot of times founders, when they launch something, they have, to make it simple, they have a few routes. They have like bootstrapping, angels, they have venture capital, multiple ways to go with, all of them with different, let's say, benefits, with different challenges. How did you make your decision, well, to go into basically like the fundraising route? What do you think was going through your mind? What kind of decision-making process? And do you feel like this was the right decision to make overall? Yeah, that's actually a great question. That's a really good question. I think we were lucky to have a network of few close angels and and really cool cool VCs to which we had access through some some network and friends. As you might imagine, this is not the best time to be raising, and it wasn't for us either. You know, from April to June, I think. We started having a round of discussions and and especially the type of VCs we were speaking to were kind of a bit like late stagers, et cetera. But as the word starts going out, I think what is really important is that people start referring you to each other. And at that stage, it becomes a bit more evident that, you know, either this or that will kind of invest in you. And having those angel investors, especially people who have the industry insights, we have a couple of them. Um, who come from, like, we have an angel investor from Salesforce or, you know, that kind of network is really helpful. And I think it's also super helpful that when you have a well-rounded founder team, where you have people who are building something from their own pain point, the story that you tell is just a very natural one. So if if 10 VCs will refuse you, the 11th one will will listen to you and the 12th one will have a bit of a don't know if it's right to say here, but the bit of a FOMO. And, and I think with everything in the world, unfortunately, FOMO really helps. So when, when, when you're talking to a few different people at the same time and starting to close around, suddenly people start having a lot more interest in you. There is a saying that venture capital, almost like a private club, in a way, like it's super hard to get in. But once you get the first one interested or just someone who like likes you can refer you, mm-hmm. like suddenly like all of those guys are like are willing to talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in that sea of talk talk, I think you have to be really careful who you want to go with because I can say we're super, we have been super selective, but we've been very lucky that our investors are, they have the expertise, they contribute to flawless growth in every way they can with the network, with experts, with connections, with a genuine support and all of those things. And, and, and you know, one of our investors even introduces us to some angels or influencers in the, in the business. So when you find the right type of people who know the sector and not just throwing some money at you, that's the right partners to work with. I'm curious, when you had to make that initial decision to go for the first fundraising round, mm-hmm. was there even an option to go bootstrap? Was there even mm-hmm. like an option to consider? And if so, like, what made you go to the like VC VC path, basically? Yeah, I wouldn't maybe speak on behalf of my co-founders, but on on my side, there wasn't an option to be bootstrapped for life reasons. We needed investment, and I think having that investment from a financial standpoint was quite constructive. But also, we needed investors who would contribute to the to our growth with their expertise and network as well. So I think in that sense. Could we go bootstrap? 
Maybe. Do I think that we've done the right thing with VC funding? Yes. And also, there's a very important point. I think it is a very right time for products like Flola. You know, since I started building Flola, I'm seeing a competitor popping up almost every month. This is a space which I think in three, four years, no one will be closing deals via email. Everyone will be using a medium like Flola. So when we hear competitors popping up, when we hear VC interest in our competitors, that's that's super cool for us because it's it's like a market in the making, which I know is a very uncool thing to say, like, uh, you know, but if it is true, it is very true that there's a market in the making. One thing that you mentioned is, well, first of all, to publicly say, like, I want to congratulate you on closing the recent round for, for your company. We talked of the air that you now will be focusing on building the internal team, growing the product. Do you feel like when you get the funding, it's also like a bit more responsibility, for example, compared to bootstrap, because there's this dynamic that you need to go at much faster rate. There's some specific milestones you need to hit compared to if you go bootstrap, it's like, it's your way. Mm -hmm. What's, what's, what's your take on this? That's a great question. I think that's a great question. It's, it's funny. I think some businesses prone to being more lifestyle and all that. So I think for them to be bootstrap, it makes sense. The way I see our product is there's no reason why three, four million salespeople in the world in an outreach tool shouldn't be using something like Flola. So for us, it's kind of a no-brainer that we should be growing to those levels. We should be reaching a portion of that market. You know, if I thought the product was something that is kind of a niche or limited to a certain market, then of course, why run? Why, you know, take your time, have lifestyle business. I won't lie, it's it's very demanding to be a founder. I, the last time I was working these hours was when I was first year Bain analyst, you know, being a strategy consultant, doing due diligences, 12 hour days and all that. And so it, it feels like, you know, after 12 years, I'm back to those days. But there is an element of you need to run because you're trying to build something that can, you know, become quite big. So you want to be at least one of the top few, if not the top. So you have to run. What was the other portion of the question? Sorry, I forgot. Well, I think it was, what's your take on this route, bootstrap versus ah. like VC and basically like the dynamics of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for us, I think running running is the right way, but it depends on, you know, your perception of running. But it's also the right way because, well, for us to be able to kind of achieve certain milestones, to be able to, you know, keep the funding route, it makes a lot of sense to get that external kind of support because we need to invest in the team. We need to bring in the right talent. We need to, because there's a huge market to capture there. You know, as I say, if if your market is a global one with huge potential, if if this is kind of surfing a wave, a paradigm shift, which I think email is really, it's, it's, it's being used in the wrong way. It kills deals. So if there's going to be a switch from email to a medium like Flola, then you better be at the right pace. One thing you mentioned is founder is working long hours, of course, trying to (laughs) achieve more things. But I know it's not only about just hustling. It's also about learning a lot of things at the same time, especially during the first years of being a founder. I'm curious, as you are now in this stage of, you know, accumulating like a sponge, just getting all the information, all the necessary skills, when it comes to those resources where you learn those, do you have any... uh, any particular books you would like to recommend that impacted you in a great way in the past year? Maybe some inspirational speakers or any other resources that you think like a founder, let's say if there is, it's their first venture as a SaaS business that would create the benefit from. Yeah, I try to actually focus on my own vertical and read like a lot of sales leadership 
books. Um, but I guess for as for everybody, like Peter Thiel's From Zero to One, it's kind of like a no-brainer. And for me, it's a book that I read maybe five, six years ago first, and then I keep referring back to. I, I do have, I get a lot of inspiration from the people I talk to on a daily basis, to be honest, because my chance is that I am a salesperson building a sales tool for salespeople. So it's it's a very virtual cycle where I'm constantly talking to industry leaders and network of people, you know, communities that are very specific for our group um, or influencers on LinkedIn who, who speak about this. There's, you know, a few names that I can definitely share, but the point that I'm trying to make is I don't think it is a one-size-fits-all kind of experience. Everybody should kind of, sometimes I, I really benefit from a podcast which you know everyone else listens to about mental well-being because it's a really important part of being a founder and sometimes i will listen to something very niche but i do have like a i, I think from zero to one is, is a book that kind of inspired me to be a founder before i decided i want and then i went back to being one okay that's that, that's a really good suggestion a lot of a lot of founders recommend this as well i know you come from the sales background so mm-hmm. for example when it comes to sales to closing deals for you it's you're like a fish in the water with this. If someone who's coming from other background, let's say they're from e-commerce, from real estate, where maybe sales is not their like biggest skill, the sharpest mm-hmm. skill, they haven't invested like 10 years into that. Do you do you think there are some some particular reads or maybe other resources you would recommend for people to immerse into in, into the sales? Yes, I think um, definitely there is a few revenue leadership books that I'm reading at the moment I'm, I'm really bad with names I can come back like I, I'm really bad with remembering those names we'll just sus insiders we'll just put those in the description the episode so that we can we can figure out with Alper the specific yeah. names so they can yeah. pick them up one question I always like to ask is if you were to go back in time let's say you were going to back maybe in May in the beginning when the whole journey started what do you think are the things you would do differently from your experience right now what is some learning experiences you 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 went through that ah i wish i did this a bit in a bit different way are there any some things you would you would think you would do differently i think it's mostly mindset things definitely there must be there's always room for improvement for your management style there's always room for improvement for your uh, how you make best use of your time i think the one thing that i would tell my earlier self is don't look for a savior and this is what my co-founder told me you know Trying to outsource your problems, especially as a founder who knows your product the best and you know everything about your your product better than anybody else at this stage. Don't look so much for an outside savior. Look for support and expertise and, and advice, but know that you are going to be the one solving it for yourself. For us, particularly, you know, for example, marketing or content or social. Those are areas where we have some expertise, but not to the level that I know sales or my co-founders know product, et cetera. So that's that's an area, for example, where I feel like I'm I've learned the most. And I've learned that there is no running away from having to learn those things. You know, you can't just outsource something and expect somebody to come and make it happen for you. As a founder, you have you will be involved in everything. But in time, hopefully, uh, priorities change. So, so that's one thing. The other thing would be to start looking at things with a different point of view in that don't think of things as failures or errors or try not to be too pessimistic. Try to take them as data points, which is something that I learned in, in the journey. Like, you know, startup journey is very much testing and iterating. So if you start seeing things as 
little tests from which you get data and learn. It's a much healthier way to to improve. And, and this is something that I learned and I try to tell my team as well, because I think as human beings in this um, capitalist society where success is is sometimes a true measure of your value, you know, you won't be always successful until you are successful. So don't use them as an opportunity to beat yourself. Use them as an opportunity to learn from those little failures and see them as a test. The sooner you can, the better. Nice. That's inside. I just want to want want you to pick this up because this is this is this is pure gold here. One thing Alper you've told is about taking ownership of of the process in the beginning and basically like honing those skills yourself. So not not just hoping that you know some external guy will take care of your marketing, will take care of your content, right? I think a lot of times we've been taught that we need to learn how to delegate. But I think what people sometimes get wrong is like, oh, I don't need to learn marketing. Well, how do you know this guy is doing the right thing then for your company, right? If, if you don't know the basics, if you don't know the structure. So I think it's really important to know all the basics and then it's fine to outsource because you know how to vet those people. Yeah, especially in the economic environment where we are, where you know fundraising is really difficult. All VCs are looking for, you know, you for you to have an MVP and then be profitable at the same time. And 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 I think like burning through cash or like to the moon and rockets and all that is no longer our reality. We need to be realistic and make sure that, you know, when you're investing in something, you've cracked it first. You know, when you're bringing in your sales team, you know how to sell. When you're bringing in a content person, you know what them you want them to, you know, put out there or, or an engineer, a backend engineer. For example, before hiring them, you basically what what your product roadmap for the next four months is, and you're so overwhelmed, you just need somebody. So yeah, be a little bit more frugal, be a bit more prudent, and also involved in things that you don't know, because then you crack it yourself and you realize, okay, now I need help and support. And and one more important thing you've mentioned is about taking taking some let's say failures. I wouldn't say failures; it's more like small challenges when you face them. Don't take them as a defeat. Take them as a learning experience, right? Because absolutely, th- absolutely. There's a, there, there's a saying that you cannot lose as long as you keep you keep going. Basically, meaning <laughs> that meaning yeah. it's it's just a learning experience. You cannot lose as long as you as long as you absolutely. Do so I think the reason why it's important is because a lot of founders are discouraged because you don't come with an expectation that it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. A lot of times, of course, now that we're speaking from the position where we are. We might say that it's, a, you know, we're grateful for the journey. It's like, it's really good. But if you go back a little bit and when you're in this process, it feels like it, it doesn't feel too good, right? So it's it, it's pretty hard to feel that way. to feel the positivity, you know, the, the gratefulness when you're in the middle of a fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it is very much the reality for me that, you know, every moment is different. It's a roller coaster. And I think it has an effect on your mental well-being. It also depends on your personality, your experience, how you start seeing things. And definitely it's, it's a roller coaster. And yeah, get ready for the ride. Like somebody, a mentor told me, think, you know, the hardest and then 10x it. And it's going to be that hard. And at that point, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing for somebody else. You know, my job keeps me awake at night. So I might as well stay awake for my own thing, etc. Yeah, it's definitely harder because there is no there's no room to run. like. You have to, at the end of the day, solve the problem. You you are the one who's going to crack it and you have to make it. There's no other way. If you were to pick like the biggest idea from our our talk today, before we'll be wrapping up this, if Sasan Sardar, who's listening, they they skipped everything and they just took away one big idea. What do you think that idea would be for, for our talk today? 
Oh, wow. That's a very difficult question. I don't want to say just for the sake of saying something. I think personally for me, this this kind of conversation really makes me feel really good that I took the leap of faith, although it's been really hard for me. Um, that when the time is right, when you feel that stars are aligned and you're still worried, just, you know, take take it. Take the opportunity, grab it, go with it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, you're still you. And if somebody as risk avert as I like to call myself, if I can be an entrepreneur and do a pretty good job of it, then I think everybody should give it a go. Like, don't fear. Take, take, take it. Take the opportunity. Seize the opportunity. What do you think would be the best way for SaaS insiders to get in touch with you in case they want to add value, maybe learn a bit more about Flola, maybe it's someone from the investor side or someone else just seeking, seeking some guidance or feedback? We'll be putting some links in the description, but I'm just wondering what's the best way to, to reach out to you. Of course, uh, feel free to you know connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to drop my personal email, etc. And if and if anybody is looking for, especially like sales or go to market advice, the reason I love sales is I feel like sales is like therapy. It's the opportunity for the one with the problem to speak and and the salesperson to listen and to try and solve it. So I like to call what I do in 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 a in a discovery call sales therapy. So. I'm always here. I can be your therapist. I can listen to you. So reach out and hopefully I can be of help. I appreciate it. appreciate it make, making, this, making this offer. To wrap up our conversation today, what do you think will be the final thoughts? What will be the note we should, we, we should finish on? Good question. What do you think should be the note we should finish on? Well, I can do a, do a little shameless plug with Flola. I think if especially we're talking about technical, non-technical founders here, and, and there must be a distinction. And I think the skill sets are quite different. But being a founder means you have to start learning things that you don't know, that you have to be comfortable with learning other things, that you have to be ready that you will be the owner of your problems and you'll need to solve them yourself and, and not look for a rescuer, I think. Like, don't burn money looking for a rescuer. Try to be courageous enough to take the first step yourself. Try to crack something first yourself. Um, and then once you have an idea, the gist of what needs to happen, uh, then spend your money there. And yeah, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Alper Yurder, everyone. Alper, thank you for joining our session today. SaaS Insiders, make sure to check out Flola. Make sure to connect with Alper. And we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>